Hey friends, welcome back to Real Talk with Rachel. I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert, and I am so glad that you're here. This show is a safe place you can come to hear relevant, engaging, and authentic topics to help you get real, live free, and pursue your God-given dreams. I am thrilled to release today's episode to you because it's two of my favorite things coming together, confrontation and the Enneagram. Our guest today, Beth McCord, is the founder of Your Enneagram Coach. She's been an Enneagram speaker, coach, and teacher for more than 17 years. Having been trained by the best Enneagram experts and obtained her advanced certification in Enneagram coaching, Beth is passionate about coming alongside individuals and helping them rewrite their story, allowing them to see that lasting change, meaningful relationships, and a life of deep purpose are possible. Beth lives outside of Nashville and has been married to her best friend, Jeff, for 24 years, and they have two adult children. Let's jump into that conversation that I had with Beth. Well, hello, Beth. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is so fun. Yay, I love having you on here. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about. Probably go a little bit fast and furious because we've got a lot of things to cover, but I'm excited. So it's going to be fun. Before we jump in, I always like to ask my guests, what's something we would not read about you in your professional bio? Yes. Well, I grew up starting age 10 fly fishing with my dad with rainbow trout. So you're probably not going to read much about that, but it is one thing that I love doing or at least sitting and watching my family fly fish if I just want to take a break. So it's, it's a real fun and joyful thing for me to do. That's cool. Do you still do it? Yep. Yeah. We still go twice a year at the same place in the Ozarks and love it. No, yeah. there's no cell phone connection. So you are just out there oh, enjoying that. one another. Yeah. That's it's really awesome. great. That's awesome. Okay. So you're the founder of your Enneagram coach, right? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Can... We started that in 2016. And wow. so we're rounding out year three. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. So I just want to kind of hear how did you get involved with Enneagram and became a coach and all that? How'd that process work for you? Yeah, well, I learned about the Enneagram in 2001 when my husband was in seminary. We had some friends that knew that we were kind of struggling in year five of marriage. We were married at 20 and had two kids by 25. So at age 26, we were kind of like, uh, what's happening? <laughs> and our friends thought this might be a helpful resource. And so uh, my husband, since he had a lot of other things to read, came through the book and thought it was intriguing, but I devoured it. But as people will learn, as you learn about the Enneagram, my personality type is a type nine. And I did it quietly for 12 years. Um, I did it with Jeff. He's a pastor. And so we would do it with, you know, the congregation. But if people asked us to speak, I'd be like, no, they want to hear from you, not me. But I was the one that really knew it. And so he would, you know, do the presentation or whatever. But it wasn't until 2015 in November that God really woke me up. Jeff at the time didn't have a job and we were kind of financially against the wall. And it was God's way of just saying, I'm calling you out and now is the time. And so there's a long story to that, but I basically as a nine woke up to my passions and desires and I thought, okay, well, how do I blend all the things that I'm passionate about? I'm passionate about 
God's word and the gospel, how Christ saved us, helping people to understand that, which is, you know, mentoring others and teaching, but also I love the Enneagram. So I was like, how do I put all those things together? And I saw that there is a thing out there called life coaching. And I thought, hmm, can I mix all three of these together in some sort of coaching? And so I developed your Enneagram coach and um, my own way of certifying Enneagram coaches from a Christian perspective, which we have a course called Become an Enneagram Coach. Ooh, become an Enneagram coach. I'm writing it down. I might need to look into yeah. that myself. <laughs> it is so great. It helps whether you're in ministry, whether you're wanting to have a professional coaching business, or maybe you're a counselor or uh, HR director or staff person. It helps anyone that wants to use the Enneagram with the next person. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, because I'm studying to be a counselor. And that's actually a resource that we recently have started learning more about in school. So that's Mm -hmm. awesome to know that that you have that as a course. I'll look into that. And I got so excited before we came live on the show. um, I discovered that we had we're both nines wing eight. And your story gives me goosebumps because it feels very similar to myself. I feel like as a nine, I'm way more comfortable if I'm being honest, just laying low behind the scenes, you know, not being the voice of things, not not be in the face of things. So when God called me out, my original blog was called Life Outside the Shell because I was stepping outside of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. first that I was founded on was 2 Timothy 1.7, for God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, timidity, but power, love, and a sound mind. And I was there for a few years. And then God told me he wanted me to change my blog and my everything I was doing just to my name. And I, I actually fought him for about a year because <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. I don't want it to be my name. That's, hor- yes. that's horrifying. Oh my gosh. And people will think, you know, like, that I'm just, you know, I'm like, nobody even knows me. Why? Yeah, I had all the arguments in the world about yes. why I should not use my name. And uh, I finally obeyed him. And I'm, I'm glad I did because it was like me coming into, okay, this is this is yes. what you have for me. And now I have a podcast and I use my voice and it's crazy. So yes. I'm a big, big fan of the Enneagram. Now I am surprised that I still, not surprised because of course everybody has their own journey, but I still meet people who go, when I say, what number are you? And they're like, what do you mean? What number am I? You know, they're like, yeah. what are you talking about? What's the Enneagram? I just met somebody just a couple of days ago at a conference. They were, we were talking and she didn't know. And so I told her the website and all this. And so what, what do you recommend? First of all, that if somebody's listening today and they're like, I don't know my Enneagram number, but maybe I'd like to know it. Um, what is the most valid way to figure out what number you are? Yeah, so there's quite a different ways. And just to kind of maybe backtrack on what is the Enneagram. Ennea means nine, gram means diagram. It's a nine-pointed geometric figure that looks like a nine-pointed star that shows there are nine basic personality types or nine valid ways of seeing the world. And the Enneagram is going to tell you at its core why you think, feel, and behave in particular ways. So it's not talking about behaviors. It is talking about the internal motivations. And I like to tell people it's like an internal GPS. Yes, you have your current location, which is your main Enneagram type, because we use all nine types to varying degrees, but you have one that reigns supreme. And then that main type has a healthiest destination. So when you use a GPS, you have a destination. That's why you're using the GPS. And for each of our personality types, we have a healthiest way of being the way God created us to be. But on this side of heaven, we will veer off course from time to time, hopefully less often than not. 
and we'll fall into those same common pitfalls on the side of the road. And the Enneagram can be like a rumble strip on the highway that alerts you and wakes you up to those unhealthy patterns. But we don't want to use that to shame ourselves, guilt ourselves, uh, condemnation. We want to use it as a warning sign to come back and ask forgiveness, but also ask the Lord to work in and through us to become more like him. And so that's in a nutshell how I use the Enneagram. But the best way to find your type, because it's about why you do what you do, we have on our website, yourenneagramcoach.com. And I'm sure you'll have it in the show notes because people might be going, how do you even spell that? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, but at yourenneagramcoach.com, the upper right-hand corner is take a free test. Now, all Enneagram assessments as of right now are only about 70 to maybe 85% accurate for the good ones. And it's because it's about why you think, feel, and behave in the way you do. If you don't know yourself very well, you're not going to be able to answer this as clearly as you might hope or what you might think. So take it, but don't let it be definitive. Let it point you in direction. So my test will give you the percentages of all nine types and how you score, and then click on the links to see and learn about each of them. Maybe look at the top three at the most. Um, There's probably something with those, but what you're really wanting to focus in on is the core motivations of the nine types. And you're going to find the one that has your core motivations. What's your core fear? What are you always running away from or trying to prevent? What is the core desire that you're longing for, what uh, what you're striving to obtain, what is the core weakness, that Achilles heel that constantly is tripping you up from time to time? Um, and then what is your core longing? What is the message that your heart has always longed to hear that you're striving to get from people, careers, you know, food, clothing, shopping, whatever it is that you're trying to get it from, those core motivations are going to point you to your main Enneagram type. And that's what my assessment is trying to get to at the core, but it's not definitive. So you can go to your Enneagram forward slash core motivations and receive a free PDF download of all the core motivations for all nine types. That's another great way after you've taken the test. Okay, perfect. So once you take the test and you see the percentages, and like you said, maybe the top three percentages, then do you recommend from there maybe reading a book to kind of mm-hmm. discover more? Or Yes, there's uh, books, podcasts out there. I know I was on Annie Downs, um, Annie Summer podcast. Um, so there's some podcasts out there that will go through each of the nine types. So you'll hear people talk about their type. There's some really great books. I have a book called Becoming Us that it's really for anyone, beginner all the way up. And It will describe what the Enneagram is. It will help you to understand the core motivations of each of the nine types. And then it will help you kind of understand how, and this is for relationship, even though it's a marriage book, it's for relationships. So it's going to help you to know conflict, communication styles, family of origin, and how to become your best selves together, whether it's friendships or marriage. I mean, we do talk about our marriage in it. But the back of the book is super helpful because all nine types are represented in these like six to seven pages where you'll learn about you. But then the last two pages of each type is understanding them. So let's say you're like, why is she like that? Or why did she do that? You can learn about your spouse, your friend, your coworker in a deeper way. But those pages are really helpful. If you're battling between two numbers, if you just go back to those, it gives you these little nuggets They're just like little bullet points of different categories. And you'll probably find your type faster back there than reading some long dialogue in some other book. So those that would be my recommendation in kind of honing in on your main type. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely recommend, you know, if you're listening and you haven't done this yet, take some time to do it. Cause I know when my husband and I did it, it was very, it's been very helpful in our marriage, especially communication wise. Cause he's an eight, I'm a nine. We communicate completely different, <laughs> um, yes. very different from each other. And then same thing we have, you know, we have a business and our whole team, we had them take the test and figure out their number. And, you know, so it's just been very, very helpful. So definitely it's, I, I think, you know, for a while I resisted Enneagram because I was like, Oh, I don't need one more thing to figure out or another number or whatever, you know, and it does, it's a little, but, you know, getting to know yourself is time consuming, but the fruit that comes from it is just so amazing that it's just worth it. So, yeah. yeah. So thank you for those resources. Those will definitely be in the show notes, guys, for those of you who are listening and driving or whatever, just, um, (laughs) and and just one other one is my discovering you course. So if they go to the website and they're the online courses, discovering you is really me walking you through the Enneagram and all nine types. So if you're more of a person that likes visual or auditory, that might be the next best thing for you. Okay. And one more question on numbers. How, what is the difference between your second highest number that you scored on versus your wing? Yeah. So the wing is always the two numbers on either side of your main type. And people that don't know the symbol, think of it as a clock, you know, and you have 12 at the top. Well, there's only nine numbers. So nine is the last number and nine is at, sits at the top. And next to it is one, just like a clock would be. And next to it on the other side is eight. So your wing and my wings are one and eight. And we use them maybe at different amounts. Like I use more of my eight than my one, but we do have both of them and we can access parts of our wings to varying degrees, whether all the way from healthy, all the way to unhealthy. And think of it as like salt and pepper. It's really flavoring your personality style. It doesn't change your main type. You still have the core motivations like for you as a type nine, but this enhances our flavors or maybe you overseason because you're using it in an unhealthy way and it's not so great. And so understanding that's really helpful. But if you were to score, for instance, I would say a lot of nines might score high on, and this isn't true for all of them, but nines will score high in two and six maybe because those are kind of, there's some overlaps with those numbers. Also nine can move, and this is a whole thing, nines can move to stress and look a lot like a six. But that is is kind of showing sometimes like the scores are showing you're resonating with some attributes of different types. Now, there's so many layers. I could like literally say, well, it could mean this and it could mean that. I mean, my head becomes a ping pong ball machine. So I don't want to like all the people that are going, what is happening? But don't get so fixated on where each number is scored. The first and foremost thing that you're really going to want to focus on is which is your main type. What is the top one? What's the core motivations that activate your heart, whether positively or negatively, when you're in certain circumstances? So let's say you're a nine on the top one and you know you're a nine and the next score is six or two. Don't worry so much about what those scores mean. Start focusing on what does it mean to be a nine? What trips you up? Where are you at your best? What does the growth path look like? That's what I would pretty much say when I'm coaching people. Okay. Awesome. This is so good. Okay. So one of the things that I wanted to focus on today with you is confrontation when it comes to your number type. And I think why Mm -hmm. I was drawn to this is, you know, I'm a nine and all my life I've 
hated confrontation. It's probably not been until the last few years that I I used to think, especially when my husband and I first got married. By the way, he's an eight. So for those of you who don't know an eight is an eight's a challenger and a nine's a peacemaker. So for him, he's extremely confrontational. He wants to talk about things right away and I, especially unhealthy me, tends to withdraw. And so when we first got married and we'd get into some kind of an argument and he'd want to talk about it and I'd withdraw, I honestly thought our marriage is over, I guess. I don't know. Like, because I thought that's what I thought confrontation meant was that they don't don't like me anymore. I've done something to, you know, all these fears and, and insecurities came rising up. And so I have a feeling most people who are listening today know what the Enneagram is or know their numbers. And so I would love if we could kind of just go through each of the numbers and you say what the number is, you know, and what it stands for. And then when it comes to confrontation, how that number would best relate when it and be able to communicate well. Yeah. So the type one is the moral perfectionist. They want to be balanced, ethical, moral, and right. They fear being wrong, evil, and corruptible. So they're going to approach conflict usually from a logical standpoint. They want to separate their emotions from what's happening and do it rightly. So what is responsible? What is the mature thing? How can I think this through to make it right, ethically, morally, and procedurally? And so that can feel to others as cold and distant, but they're really trying to eliminate errors from happening. And so they're thinking logically through the dynamics. The type two is a supportive advisor, and they fear being unwanted, rejected, unloved, um, not valuable. And so what they want is to be loved, appreciated, wanted, seen for the love that they give to others. And so for them, they're going to come into a conflict trying to comply to others or think of others in the process. How can we connect? How can I serve? How can I help? At the same time, though, when twos do get a little bit under stress, um, or if they feel someone isn't hearing them well or appreciating them, they can kind of mama bear can come out basically. And so especially if they think someone else is attacking a family member or a friend or someone they love, they will go to bat for sure. And so they can be very, say their opinions very bluntly in those conflict moments. But in their everyday life, that's not really the the tone that they're coming with. They're coming with helpful insights and resources for people. The type three is the successful achiever. And they fear being unsuccessful, a failure, unadmired, seen as incompetent. What they desire is to have high status and regard, to be valued, to be admired. Now, they're going to also come to a conflict with logic. They will separate their emotions because they want to make sure their image isn't tarnished. So it's a little bit different than type one. Type one is about all about ethics, morals, procedures, and they're not really caring what others think so much as long as everything is done right. The three, on the other hand, it is about the image. What do you think about me? Am I, are you you upset? But it's not like a nine accommodating. It's, I want to be seen as accomplished, successful, that I'm doing the right thing from a image standpoint. So they will shape shift to a certain degree, but they're also able to remove their emotions to make sure that they can work through a conflict in a fast, timely, efficient manner. The type four is the romantic individualist and they fear 
being mundane, plain, ordinary, having their emotions cut off from them. They desire to be their most authentic and unique self. And so they're going to come to a conflict more of an emotional reaction to it. They have a tsunami of emotions and they can feel very misunderstood. And so they can react more emotionally to any given conflict or situation and try in some ways to either get people to understand them or kind of withdraw from them. And so it can kind of be an either or. And so they can pull and push in relationships. And so the person they're in conflict with may not necessarily know whether they should move in or not move in. And so it can be a little bit confusing for the other person because of the passion, passionate emotions that the type four can have. The type five is the investigative thinker, and they fear being incompetent, incapable, being depleted of their interactive resources, being depleted too much, but they want to be um, intelligent, to be knowledgeable, insightful, and capable and competent. Now, they will come to a conflict as well with logic. They feel that it's much more important to use your mind, your intellect to sort out what is going on and to put them in categories and then think logically through it versus having your emotions get in the way. And so people that want the emotions in there, as we've talked about some of the other types, they might be like, why can't you bring your emotions? Why can't you be real? And for them, they don't understand why people are bringing emotions into a conflict. Let's think this through. And so that is how a five would handle the conflict. Type sixes are the loyal guardians. They fear being without support, guidance, security, and that's what they desire. And they fear physical abandonment. So when there's conflict, they could feel abandonment is on the horizon. Is this about to happen? So they, like the fours, can react with more emotional reaction to the situation. They can press in. They want to know, am I safe and secure? What's going on? Asking a lot of questions. And it just depends on who that's landing on. Some people, they're going to be like, whoa. And other people are going to come headstrong into it. So it can kind of just depend. But they want to have loyalty, support, uh, commitment from those that are around them. That's what they're seeking. Are you for me? Are you with me? The type sevens are the entertaining optimists. And they fear being bored, emotionally cut, or not emotionally cut off, have to dive into their emotions, trapped in their emotions, and missing out on something fun. So the true FOMOs of the world. And they're just wanting to be happy, satisfied, and fully content. So they will usually approach a conflict by reframing and making everything positive. Everything's going to be fine. It's great. Let's try this. Let's try that. No, it's good. It's all going to be just fine. And so they don't see failures and mistakes as a huge negative. They see it as an opportunity to shift gears, to go a different direction, to try something new. And in some ways, a lot of us admire that. But at the same time, life needs to be dealt with as it is. And when at times when sevens aren't willing to deal with reality, that can be real frustration for others. The type eights are the protective challengers and they fear being harmed, manipulated, controlled, and left at the mercy of injustice. And they desire to protect themselves and those that are closest to them. I call them snowplows because we need big diesel snowplows in the Midwest and the North. I grew up in the Midwest. You can't just have a little Ford pickup truck with a shovel on it or shovels to plow, you know, highways and stuff, but they can sometimes unknowingly 
be so intense and powerful that they nick cars on the side of the road or plow over them in front of them if they're unaware. But a healthy eye sees these cars and says, hey, get behind me. I got this for you. But they come into conflict with intensity, bluntness, directness. It needs to happen now. And part of that is because they fear being betrayed or blindsided. So they actually see their bluntness and straightforwardness as love to others because they're basically saying, hey, I'm not going to betray you. I'm not going to blindside you. I'm going to give you exactly what I wish you would give me. But the rest of us might feel like we're being nicked on the side of the road or plowed over and they don't get it because they're only giving what they would want someone to give to them. They would rather you be honest and straightforward, even if it's not what they wanted, because they know where you're coming from. And that's, as you know, very different than you and I. As type nines, we fear conflict, tension of any kind, any kind of discord or losing relationships with others, being overlooked. We just want peace and harmony. Us nines will usually come to conflict by either withdrawing or being positive. So we can be optimistic at times like, oh, it's going to be fine. It's going to be great. You know, we'll try to go along to get along, merge with others. But if the tension is directed at us, we, it feels so intense inside. It feels like a two liter Coke is inside and it's been all shooken up and there's all that tension and pressure. And we just feel like we have to get away. It also creates a lot of fog and not knowing of ourselves in that moment. We can't process and think very well. So we really feel like we have got to get away. And sometimes our bodies will literally physically shut down where we don't think very well or we can't really interact. And as you married to an eight, that's super frustrating to them because they know how they feel or think at any given moment in a millisecond, whereas we could take a lifetime to figure it out. And so, so we can either withdraw or be positive. And so that's kind of in a nutshell, how the different types are going to approach conflict, which is amazing, but it can be absolutely infuriating for each of us if we don't understand that people do it differently. We think people should do it the way we do it. And we can judge, put down, criticize, or abandon relationships as a whole if we are operating that everyone should be just like me. And that's where the Enneagram can be so helpful because it gives us compassion and empathy, understanding, mercy and grace to mend relationships, but also to allow those relationships to grow in ways that it couldn't before. Yeah. Oh, that was so good. I was taking notes like a crazy person over here. What I found very interesting. Um, so the books that just released today, which we're going to talk about those here in a second, you actually have a book specific to your number. So I have a book in front of me that's my nine, you know, and just getting to read yeah. about that. And one thing that I loved was the how the title of a nine was called Peaceful Mediator, because something that used to bother me about myself, and now I see it's a strength, is that I, I thought I was being indecisive when I would hear two sides as a story, but really it's just I can honestly see two people's sides. You know, it's not that I necessarily agree with both sides. It's just I can I can actually see both sides, whereas not everybody has that gift to see. Oh, OK, I see why you feel that way. And I actually see why you feel that way. So I loved how that just drew out that that strength. But what was interesting about you saying that, you know, me being married to an eight is because I was a not or not because I am a nine, but for so many years didn't, you know, we didn't uh, realize these differences about each other. Often, I have actually been on a journey myself of unraveling how many of my opinions are mine versus my husband's just because 
I didn't know what I thought about things. And so since he did know what he thought about things and he would just say, this is what we're doing. This is how, you know, he would just do it. And it wasn't that he was being mean. It's just, I would let him, you know, it was like, okay, I don't know, you know, and, um, you know, and so even just simple things like, where do you want to eat? Like, I don't know. And, and so that's been a really freeing journey for me to be on just really starting to figure out what do I enjoy? What is my opinion on certain things? And, and it's been interesting, you know, he has actually appreciated since I've started finding my own voice and my own opinions and my own thoughts, when I will push back a little bit, you know, and be like, well, actually, no, I think this, and it kind of takes him off guard, but, but he likes it. You know, he appreciates it. Cause just like you said, Absolutely. you know, like just being honest and, and bringing that to the table. So now that we're seeing, okay. So clearly two, one other thing I noticed when you were saying this, I noticed that most numbers either are logical or emotional. Would you, would you agree with that or no? Yeah, well, I mean, gosh, there's so many layers to the Enneagram. This makes it kind of a challenge. Um, there's the three centers of intelligence, the head, the heart, and the gut. So, and that's a whole other thing. It's in the book, uh, the nine books that are being released today, the Enneagram collection. And so I'll talk about your specific triad that you're in. You and I and your husband are actually in the gut triad. And so we actually relate to the world first through our gut. Now, hmm the nines will ignore their gut because mm-hmm. they don't really want any tension of any kind. But if we wake up to it, we'll see that there's a lot of things that our gut notifies us on that we've ignored, but that's a whole nother thing. But then there's um, three types that really lead through the heart and their emotions. And there's three types that really lead through thinking. The ones that I was really talking to you about were a few different other triads. So, so all of them can kind of mix together, which makes it pretty interesting. But when it comes to conflict and conflict style, I wanted to lead with a a few of the other triads. So all that to be said, it's complicated, okay. um, but it's super fascinating because the twos, the sevens and the nines are more or in a triad where we're more optimist, mm. but we do it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking about the fours, the sixes and the eights being emotionally reactive, but they do it differently and for different reasons. But then the fours are in the heart center, the sixes are in the head center and the eights are in the gut center. So we just do it differently and for different reasons. So that's what's so beautiful about the Enneagram is it gives us understanding, but it remains complex because us humans are complex. And so we can just keep going and going and learning deeper and deeper. And it's it's truly amazing how yeah. God created us. Yeah. And I love that. That's such a good reminder too, because it's it's kind of like, you know, your relationship with God. No two people are going to look the same, you know, in, in the yeah. way we are. And I think that's what he wants it that way so that we're constantly exploring, constantly yes. getting to know him well, more. And we all have different. Yeah, we all have different stories, right? Like yeah. you and I are both nines with eight wings, but oh my goodness, we have such different stories. I mean, I could just I mean like I'm married to a six, you're married to an eight, you know, depending on our career paths and childhood growing up, like you and I will have a lot of similar things to talk about, but we're different people. We have different callings, different talents. And so when people do find other people's Enneagram type, I highly encourage them to not put people in a box or say, oh, you're being such a this, like, so don't use it as a sword or a shield. So don't mm-hmm. belittle people, mock people, name people, criticize, but also don't blame shift or hide behind your number or, well, that's just who I am. Like the, the Enneagram is to bring clarity and transformation. It's not to hurt or shield yourself. 
Mm. I'm so glad you said that because that would probably be the number one negative thing I've ever heard anybody say about Enneagram is just that, oh, well, I can just be like, well, I'm a nine. I'm just, you know, I'm laid back. You know, you can blame it on your number or whatever. And, and so I'm well, glad especially you- as, as Christians, yeah. we're really called to transform to be like Christ. And if anyone knows, growth is hard. Yeah. And so if we were to blame shift, defend, or just be lazy, what, whatever type it is, and just say, well, that's just who I am. That's not growth. In fact, as you know, and I know, you and I starting our own businesses and putting our name out there as a nine, mm-hmm. that is like the last thing I want to do. Mm-hmm. Now, I do love what I do, mm-hmm. but it's super hard to constantly be out there, mm-hmm. my name out there, exposure, because I fear conflict. I fear what are people going to be upset? What could happen? But I also know God has called me to it. So each type has a path of growth that is not easy. But as they trek down that path, it is so glorious and amazing. Yeah, that's so good. And, you know, back to what you were mentioning about how each number kind of approaches conflict. So would you then recommend, we're going to keep using me being a nine, my husband an eight, just since that's, you know, an example we can run with here. But would you recommend then that you, the people that you're in close relationship with, you figure out, you know, what their number is, and then you approach the conflict with their number in mind, not your own number in mind. So like for me, as it's in- both. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's both. So I'll, actually, if you don't mind, if I can use my own example. Sure. Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Jeff being a type six fears abandonment. Okay. When he feels like maybe I'm starting to disassociate, check out, numb, withdraw, whether even in front of him or physically withdraw, he senses his body reacts that it's that I'm abandoning him. This is the beginning of the end of our relationship. That's literally how he feels and thinks in the moment. So it used to be where he would emotionally react to that and intensely pursue me because he feared that we would lose one another. Well, I'm a nine. I don't like tension. Mm -hmm. I don't like conflict. So if you're going to approach me with intensity and passion, it will feel like tension and conflict, I'm going to shut down even more. The harder he pursues, the more I shut down. And you can see that only escalates everything. So one day he finally said, are you going to leave me? And I couldn't believe that was the question. I mean, everything I'd ever done in trying to go along to get along and merge with him was to show I was so for him. I just wanted us to have relationships. So in one sense, I was really like hurt and appalled. So of course I said, (laughs) "Uh, no, stupid. That is not at all what I'm thinking. Like, I am totally for you. Now, The that's not typically how I talk, but I was so blunt because it, it hurt that that's where he was going with it. But now I understand, oh, that's where a six goes to. Now, he realized he was bringing unhealthy thoughts, like, let's say, head trash to our relationship, the way that a six thinks that isn't actually real. It's not happening. So he was reacting to a fear that wasn't really there. So now we are able to approach conflict differently. When he senses I'm starting to shut down and he starts to get activated inside, he can ask clarifying questions. Hey, I see that you're getting overwhelmed. You're starting to shut down. He can even say, is that what's happening? And I can be like, yeah, you know, I just, I feel your passion. I know that we're okay but I just, I can't think right now. I can't process. Can you give me 10 or 15 minutes to go kind of settle my internal heart? You know, like I said, the two liter Coke being shooken up. Can you let me go settle that down, get clear minded and then come back, which nines need to come back (laughs) to the topic. And can we work it out then? That 
communicates to him, I know that abandonment is a trigger for you. Mm-hmm. I'm not abandoning you. I'm here for you. But I also need time to process and think. And that then he can go, sure, totally. And and so that's where you keep both your numbers in mind. You speak one another's language to each other. You ask clarifying questions and you give clarifying statements so that you're on the same page as best you can. And you honor one another and support one another in the process. Oh, that's so powerful. What if you're walking into a situation and you don't know the other person's number that you're dealing with? What do you recommend with that? Well, and that's where knowing the nine types is really helpful because if you understand the just the just the core motivations, like the free download I mentioned earlier, and you have that in mind, you you want to not commit a suicide where you assume incorrectly other people's thoughts, feelings, and motives. We usually think people see it the way we see it. And why did they react that way? I would never react that way. I would never do that. That's so hurtful or that's so mean or whatever it is, but they might be coming at it from a completely different vantage point. So what I recommend is you, before you commit a suicide and blow the relationship up, you know, with your thoughts and feelings and reactions, asking clarifying questions. Hey, how did that land on you? Or when you said that, that landed on me this way. Is that what you were trying to communicate or am I misunderstanding? Could you help me understand your point of view better? Um, just things like that are super powerful in making sure that you're not assuming incorrectly. But then having your thoughts kind of on the core motivations of the other types, when you're listening to them, you're trying, you're not trying to diagnose or predict them, but you're just trying to hear like, are they really coming from a different vantage point? And how can I step into their shoes? How can I see through their lens so that we can have a better communication uh, relationship to bring restoration and reconciliation or just understanding in the moment? That's what, you know, so just come to the table, assuming you're probably going to assume incorrectly. <laughs> mm. Don't commit a suicide. I love that word. I'm totally going to use that. That's so good. And yeah. then I also like just very simply ask clarifying questions. That's that's just a great communication skill too. So that's really good. Okay. So we're starting to run out of time, but before we go, a couple other things I wanted to hit on, and I know you won't have time to go super deep into this, but I'm sure you can at least direct us to some resources that you have is one thing that I love, again, as a therapist, um, the, the section where the Enneagram really talks about our childhood core message. I think there's yeah. a, just very, a lot of power in understanding what that is. Can you talk a little bit about that and just where that, where we get that childhood core message and why it's so important that we know it is? is. Yeah. So the childhood, I call it more um, the interpreting childhood message. Some people call it the uh, wounding message, but the reason why I don't call it that is because even though it does feel like a wound, I don't believe that all families that you come from are intending to wound or hurt. I believe that we are hardwired with this message inside. And when we observe certain circumstances or go through certain circumstances, we interpret it through the lens of that hardwiring. So if you have nine children and they go through all same, let's say trauma at the same time, they will have all seen it and interpreted it from their own personality style. And so the reason why that's important is either you have been told directly these harmful, hurtful messages, or you have inferred it from a certain circumstance. Now we will think it's been said to us, 
but it may not. And we're convinced that that person meant this, but it may not be at all. And that's kind of a a helpful understanding when you're starting your own healing journey. My own story with it is the childhood message for the nine is don't assert yourself. When I was about five years old, my dad came home as a doctor with little phone directories that are like the cheapest of cheap because they were drug rep stuff, you know, and he brought home like 10 of them. And what are we going to do with these? And of course, he didn't want them. So I had this genius idea at five to go sell them to my neighbors for five cents. So I went about doing that little entrepreneurial thing. And here, if you remember as being a nine, you know, nines don't think their presence matters. They don't want conflict. They just want peace and harmony. But I'm this five-year-old kind of getting out there. And my neighbors probably thought I was so cute. And they were giving me five cents. But my mom saw what I was doing and was like horrified. And so she called me in and she was real nice about it. But she was like, we don't do that. That's inappropriate. You need to go give back that money. Well, even though she said it in a very nice way, the only thing I heard was don't assert yourself. Mm. And it shut down this little entrepreneur heart. Now, was my mom intending to say that? Absolutely not. My parents have been my biggest cheerleaders, but that's the message I heard because that's the hardwiring of a nine. Mm. And that's what I took with me for many years. So that's why I want people to just to take a step back when they hear it, they may think, yes, that was totally said to me. And it may have been, but sometimes it's what we inferred in what was happening in the moment. So the type one he thought or did hear the message, it is not okay to make mistakes. And did you want me to elaborate on any of these or just let, let them know just the, the actual hardwiring? Yeah, yeah. Let's just talk about the, the actual hardwiring. And, um, and then did you have a resource that people can in the yeah, books, our, right? Our book. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Our book Becoming Us. Okay. Um, I and my journals, I actually go into these messages. Okay. So that you guys can start to heal and grow in those messages. So the type two, the message was you cannot have your own needs. And then so type threes, their childhood messages, it's not okay for you to have your own feelings and identity. The type fours message is it's not okay to be too much and not enough. The type fives message that they thought or were being told is it's not okay to be comfortable in the world. The type sixes message is it's not okay to trust or depend on yourself. The type sevens message is it's not okay to depend on others for anything. Type eight's message is it's not okay to trust or be vulnerable with anyone else. And nines, it is not okay to assert yourself or think too much of yourself. Hmm. Wow, those are so powerful. And so I can just see how understanding that it's kind of like, I know for myself, like you were mentioning that core message for me as a nine, it rises up in me even still today. And luckily now I can recognize it and be like, Oh wait, no, we're not going to let you rise up. You know, I'm going to still move forward. I'm going to still do it. It goes goes directly to what you were saying about naming your work with your own name, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's not okay to assert yourself or make too much of yourself. And so you are reacting to that internal message. And so when God called you to do that, because actually, even though our business is your Enneagram coach. The actual legal business name is Beth McCord and company because my husband wanted me to be the one out in front so that I wouldn't hide behind anything else. Mm -hmm. And that's our work. Now it's really hard because I'm like, I don't want my name to like, I don't want to be out in front and all that. But that, that assert, we're 
we're asserting ourselves. We're saying my presence matters just like everyone else's. I'm not better than anyone else, but my presence matters. And that's the growth path of the nine. But each type has their own growth path that I want them to dive into. And so the, the childhood message is a whole chapter in our Becoming Us book. Okay, perfect. And so, and then in the books that released today, are you, um, you said those are journals, is that what you're calling them? Yes. Okay. So they're from Thomas uh, Nelson. They are called, called the Enneagram Collection. And so if you go to any, um, Enneagram, if you go to um, Amazon, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, wherever, just type in the Enneagram Collection, Beth McCord, and then you'll just pick the one that is for your personality type. Now they're specific to each type. So you're going to need to know your type. And that's where some of our resources from the beginning of this podcast will be helpful. But it's what's great is you can do this with anyone you could do it the book club, small group, your spouse, best friend, because it's 21 days, pulling apart your personality into little bite sized lessons. I mean, bite size, we're talking like a page and a half to two pages. Yeah, then they have reflection questions. So we'll talk about the same subject on each day. And then it's customized also for your type. And so you and your husband can go, oh my gosh, what'd you learn about your wings? Or, you know, what, what are you, you're like when you're under stress? And then you guys can talk about it and learn from one another. Yeah. Actually, just earlier today, I was on Amazon buying some for our whole staff and I was looking at them and I happened to be on the phone with my husband and I was like, now, you know, we were picking out which number everybody is. And he's the only eight, by the way, on our whole team. And, <laughs> and I, I was, and we have a lot of twos. And um, so I was putting them in the car and it was funny because like most of the books are either 13 or $14, but the eight was $10. And I was on the phone with him and I was like, wait, yours is $10. And he's like, yeah, it was, you know, I was like, oh, stop. (laughs) This is not a competition. He's like, oh my gosh. I was like, oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Someone asked that that me too, because we have no say in, you know, what Amazon prices are. And I was like, yeah, because we have the list of who's bought, you know, the books the most and stuff. And eights actually are kind of, mm, in the middle, maybe the lower rung, but not all the way at the bottom. And so it was interesting. It's like, I wonder what, what they're basing that off of anyway. But yeah. yeah, so he won the cheapest, if yes. that means a lot to him. Yeah, I don't know. Also. He just, he won something, <laughs> you know, I don't know what he thought. He's like, yeah, I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah. But anyways, it was just funny. So um, yeah, so yeah. awesome, awesome gifts. It's something I'll definitely be giving out as gifts a lot because that's a really great resource. Okay, and one final question on the core message and then we'll for real go now because I know, like I said, I could keep you all day is I am a parent. I've got three kids. And yeah. is there, just like you said, you know, your mom saying that story shared about your mom, like you said, she did not intentionally pull anything out of you or speak anything over you. So as a parent, I am honestly always just trying to be aware of what things am I saying or doing that could trigger something in my child? Is there anything to look for as a parent uh, when we're looking at our kids in this? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's I, I, what I want parents to realize is a lot of times we're really trying our best. Mm-hmm. Kids are wonderful observers and horrible interpreters, meaning they're just seeing everything, but they don't know how to filter it, especially when they are unaware of their personality perspective, right? And we don't even know what their personality perspective is until they're old enough to let us know. And we can't type our kids because we don't know why they do what they do. I tried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought my son might be a six one or a two, and I would even ask him questions and he would just look at me like, yes. And I'm like, you're not narrowing it down. 
it kept me more dependent on God. I think you can kind of eliminate a few types that you're probably pretty sure they're not, but you need to hold a few loosely. You'll be surprised. I thought my daughter was more of a nine than a two. Those were the ones I was kind of leaning towards. And, but I thought, no, she's a lot like me. Well, she's a two. And in fact, we have a lot of differences, but when she was younger as a two wanting to be loved and wanted, she was doing a lot of my stuff to win my love. And so be very careful in typing your kids, but we won't know for sure what they are until they name us, but there's a core longing message that all types long to hear. And you'll find that in the core motivations, either in my book or that free download. And even if you start saying all of those core motivations, that you'll find one of them that's going to land on them more than the others. Now, they're all great to hear, but one will resonate with them deeper. Um, I had a dad that told me the other day that he knew he felt like his son was a certain type and he leaned over to his son and he said the core longing message to his son and his son said, dad, that means the world to me. Mm. Thank you so much. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to like cry. Um, but understanding that's why these books are so powerful, whether you get the journal for you, but you get the becoming us book for understanding all the types. They're really powerful because you can start to navigate through your relationships by asking those clarifying questions. If you see your kid has lost affect or they look sad or they feel crushed, you may not ever know right then. It might come out when they're a teenager or, or an adult. But even if you can ask, how did that land on you? What did you hear mom or dad say? What's going on in your mind? And giving them the permission not to, and then don't react, just absorb, have a non-anxious presence. If we realize I'm trying to love well, but I'm going to make mistakes because I don't know how this is landing on them. You can have that non-anxious presence and trust that God cares for your kid more than you. But the more information you can obtain without reacting and loving them right where they're at, they will express themselves more freely. And so you'll get to learn a lot more about them. And maybe you even have those childhood messages and say, hey, what did you think mommy heard? And then just kind of hear what they say and see if you can't find one of those messages kind of correlate together. So yeah. there's lots of little things that you little tricks and trades. Yeah. Just make sure you don't type them before they type themselves, like be definitive on it, because mm -hmm. you might be parenting them in a way that's just not true for them at all. Yeah. I love that you said to ask them clarifying questions and then don't react. Because <laughs> I think that's a, the hardest part as a parent. So you can just scream in your head, you know, but like, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, that's a, good, a good movie to watch that was really powerful for Jeff and I, because our kids are now 21 and, and 19, is the movie The Legend of Bagger Vance. Okay. So this is with Will Smith and Matt Damon. And Will Smith is a caddy. But he kind of is like this God angel like figure. But what I want you to watch is how he he really has the answers that Matt Na Damon needs as a golfer. But he's not anxious. He comes in a non anxious presence. He doesn't just tell him what to do. He's there for him. Now, there's certain times he will say things and and poke and prod and try to get Matt Damon to ask for help and to be guided. But we can't change people, mm. but we can guide them. We can love them. Sometimes as parents, we have to discipline them. Um, but that's where, you know, either love and logic, tough love comes in. 
But the more we can have a non-anxious presence, that doesn't mean we don't react. We can mm-hmm. react. But the more we live out our personality in an unhealthy way, the more that our kids are going to pick that up. And then they're going to not show up themselves because they're afraid. Whereas if we can just sit and listen and trust that God has a plan and a path, then we can come towards them in a way that is more effective for them versus effective for us. Yeah. Is there a number or an age number where kids can start to figure out on their own their their number? Yeah. I mean, I think each kid is going to be a little bit different because mm-hmm. some kids are super aware and like old souls, basically. I know my son was that way. And then there's some people who are still 40 years old and they don't know themselves. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, okay. it's, it's all, it's a mix. But I would say probably in the teenage years is when basically what you're going to find when kids are before their teenage years, they're absorbing the characteristics of other people. Now their personality is still there, but they're kind of trying on some different things. And so it's kind of hard to pinpoint them, but all of a sudden their teenage years, the parents are like, what just happened? Like they've never been like this before. Well, their personality is kind of tired of trying on everything. And they're like, I'm just going to be me. And it's kind of raw and it kind of doesn't always come out the best way. And they're just, they're kind of flapping their wings or getting out of the nest. And that's when parents start to panic. And that is the time to really bring in an unanxious presence, to guide them, to love them, to be curious, to support them. That doesn't mean support them doing bad things. You're still going to be other parent, but it's a time to investigate, to learn, to grow together. And so that's pretty much those teenage years, you're going to see a big shift. And if you can ride that wave and be there with them and for them, supporting them, guiding them, tough love, you'll see that in their 20s, they'll be amazed at what had happened for sure. Oh, so good. Thank you. Well, Beth, thank you for taking the time to come on today. Where is the best place people can connect to you online? Yeah. So, on Instagram is your Enneagram coach. And then on um, website is your Enneagram coach.com. We also for our becoming us book have becoming us.com where we have even marriage courses for all 45 couple types. So I really get into your kitchen and Ooh. tell you exactly where you guys struggle, but I also give you the hope and a path for growth for your marriage. And so those are the two websites that I would recommend. And then we have the two books becoming us and the Enneagram collection and becoming an Enneagram coach course in our uh, website. Awesome. And is that course always open or is it open? It is not. It's open three times a year. Mm -hmm. And so the next one will be in February and then usually sometime in the summer and then usually sometime October, November. Okay. But if people want to get on the waiting list for that or something, they can just, yes, they can get notified me or they can email us at info at your Enneagram coach.com. And uh, my assistant will give them all the information and get them ready to decide what's the best path for them. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you again for your time. And um, I'm excited for the listeners to, to hear you and hear this conversation. Didn't you love that conversation I had with Beth? I actually thought it'd be really fun if you guys would take a screenshot of yourself listening to the show, or if you don't feel comfortable with that, just do an image of the episode and tell us your Enneagram number and maybe even something that you learned today on the show from listening to Beth. Uh, Be sure to tag me on Instagram at Rachel J. Gilbert so that I can share it. And if you're not on the gram, don't worry. You can just make sure you're subscribed to email so you can join the party there. And to stay in the loop on the show via email, you can just text the phrase Real Talk Giveaway, that's all one word, to the number 44222 on your cell phone. All right, friends, that's all we have for today. I pray this episode brought you one step closer to getting real 
living free and pursuing your God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.